2: We left off at verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. Paul's very intent on teaching these new believers the truth of who they are. It's so important that we be affirmed by faith in the truth of who we are. Because everything around us would trap us into the lie that we are these bodies, that we are part of this world, that we are under the curse of sin like everybody else, and that we have to live accordingly. But the reality is that we are not those things. We are who God says we are if we're children of God. And Paul wants these new believers to wrap themselves around to embrace the truth that they have within them so that they would be able to walk as overcomers, that they would be able to walk as victors. Because I want to tell you something. If you're not established in the truth that is within you, and let me just say that also this, that God is in the process of establishing you in that truth. That's not something, it's not like taking a pill and you've got it, or an initiation and you've got it. It doesn't stick to you like a, a tattoo. It's something that God literally grows in you. A familiarity, an intimacy with a greater truth of who you are. The closeness, the faithfulness, the provision of the Father that is consistent. All of that is what God is working you through. And if you have not begun to embrace who you are in Christ, then there's only one other place you can be. You're embracing your flesh. And if you're embracing who you are in this earth suit, in this body, then you're no different than anyone else out there. You have the same hopes... You have the same dreams, and your happiness and your satisfaction in life is based on what's going to happen to you in this body. Now, how stable is that? Not very. It can change in an instant. And you know what? It changes all the time, doesn't it? it does. My wife was talking about how you get distracted. And I can have the joy of the Lord, and I can be excited about what God is doing in my life. And all it takes is for me to be distracted by either something good or bad. I look away from the Lord, and suddenly my happiness is wrapped up in what's going on in front of me. And so is my identity. You ever have that happen? Once a week, maybe? How about two or three times a day? That's probably more realistic, isn't it? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16. I said we're going to start at 18, but 16 is kind of that theme, if you will, of what we're going to talk about. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, The Spirit himself thus testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. The Spirit of God within you gives legal testimony to the truth that we are the children of God. And here's the other thing. Your spirit agrees with him. Well, you say, sometimes I doubt, sometimes I'm fearful, sometimes I'm anxious, sometimes I don't feel like I'm a child of God, sometimes I make mistakes, sometimes I out-and-out sin, sometimes I'm rebellious, sometimes I'm all of these things, or I act like all of these things, and I do not feel like a child of God. But what I just said was that the Spirit of Truth declares you are a child of God if you have received Him as life. And what's more, your spirit echoes the spirit of truth. Now, what does that say to you? It says to you that at the center of who you are, at the center of your being, the truth of you is in agreement with God, not your emotions necessarily, not your behavior necessarily. Not your circumstances necessarily. Do you see where that bedrock comes in? Do you see where that foundation for living comes in? Because there's a part of us that the world, even ourselves, cannot shake, cannot deter, cannot take away. It's who we are in Christ. This verse says that our spirit literally testifies in agreement with the testimony of the spirit of truth. And that also tells us, if there is a testimony to the contrary, that it is not based in truth. It's not based in the Spirit of God. Our true selves know the truth. We are the children of God. Now, in a way, we're kind of waiting for our coming out party. When God gives us a redeemed body and this failed flesh, this body that is cursed of sin, will no longer be able to hide the truth. It will no longer obscure the truth. God will give us a new and appropriate raiment which will go alongside of the new life, the new spirit that he's placed in us. Because we are God's children, we were made to live in the presence of God. We're made to enjoy his worship, to delight in his will. And all of those things are a contradiction to the flesh. And therefore, here's the reality of it. I want you to hear me. The reality of it is that we either live in contrast to the world as we live according to the Spirit, or we live in contrast to ourselves when we live according to the flesh. Not in contrast to our our image, not in contrast to what the world says we are, not in contrast to even what the church says we are. We live in contrast to who we are as God has declared it. Now, does that make sense to you? Now, here's what it means. Put it in simple language. When you act out, when you fail, when you act contrary to truth, when you are rebellious, when you seek after the same thing those people that don't know God are seeking after, when you run after the world, when you're all about yourself, when you are all about what you can give yourself or take from others, when you live in that way, if you are a child of God, you are literally acting contrary to the way God has made you. That's why it doesn't feel right. That's why it begins to tear you inside. That's why there is a duality in your thinking. You find yourself constantly feeling ill at ease and unrest. And you think it's because of what you're doing. Well, yes, but in reality, it's because of who you are. Remember, I've used the illustration many times that when a bird tries to act like a fish it becomes a problem. And when a fish tries to act like a bird, it becomes a problem. Neither one can live in the other's world. If you're a child of God, you cannot live like you're not a child of God and have life in it and find peace in it and be comfortable in it because you will be at contrast, a contradiction to the truth of who you are. We have to live to who we are. Living according to the Spirit does not take away our suffering, does it? We read about that last week. The difference between living according to the flesh in suffering and living according to the Spirit in suffering is that suffering for us as children of God is not a just punishment. It isn't. I know... Many a theologian has tried to make our suffering in this life punishment for sin. If it is, then Jesus died needlessly, didn't he? Jesus paid it all. So your suffering on this earth is not about your sin. For us, suffering is now the revelation of his strength and our weakness. That's what it's intended to be. It is the glory of God being revealed through frail flesh. That's what it's supposed to be. For us, suffering is an opportunity to enter into the truth that we cannot carry ourselves, but we have a God who carries us. That's what suffering is to be about. Romans eight eighteen. Paul basically is saying, as he talks about suffering, he starts out, but what of that? In other words, you're suffering. He doesn't mean to be cavalier. If I suffer, basically, is what he's saying. If I suffer, so what? If I suffer, so what? He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this present life, are not worth being compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us and for us and conferred on us. Now, he is not saying that he now enjoys suffering. I brought this out last week. That's not what Paul is saying. Jesus made it very clear, and life has made it clear. Can you get through life without suffering? Can you? Do the lost people suffer more than the godly? Well, there's a question. But they still suffer, don't they? And the godly suffer. We all suffer. Well, why are we suffering? Because of the curse of sin. God did not cause sin. Man caused sin. God did not cause man to suffer. Sin caused man to suffer. There's a reason why the body is failing. There's a reason why we all eventually die. That is called the curse of sin. And again, the wages of sin is what? Death. That's why. Now, the reality for us is now that we are in this life and that we do suffer... We are to give praise to God. Why? That's stupid, Pastor Todd. Why in the world would you say that? No, it's not. Think about the truth of it. We're to give praise to God, not that we're suffering, but for the revelation of his love, his life, his healing. I could point out a host of people in this room right here that have known the depth of the Father's love and healing through suffering. And you could personally ask them, would they have traded their revelation for the absence of suffering? And I feel pretty confident in telling you, no, they wouldn't. We are to praise God for the revelation of who he is in the midst of our difficult times. Every one of us, I mean, even the most liberal theologian, and even the lost, and you hear it on radio stations, you read it on Facebook, oh, you know, I'm so glad that God is with us in the trials and sufferings of life. They know that. They see the value of God's presence. And many of them will quote that not written verse that God will... Not put on us more than we can bear. Really? That is not true. God will not put more on you than he can bear. His strength is made perfect in what? Your weakness. Does that talk about what you can bear? Apart from me, you can do what? He will put more on you than you can bear so that you can realize you've got a God who bears it all. And even the world recognizes this. The world says, you know what? Isn't it good that we we can trust our God in times of suffering? Well, absolutely it's good. But let's thank Him for the revelation that comes in times of suffering. We do not suffer in vain. For the truth is, we would not have the intimate acquaintance with the love of our God and the first fruits of our inheritance as children of God if we had not had suffering in suffering, there is revelation. We would have not have known him if the suffering of the flesh hadn't invited him. All of God's creation is awaiting this revelation in full. Look at Romans eight nineteen. For even the whole creation, all natures, waits expectantly and longs earnestly for God's sons to be made known waits for the revealing the disclosing of their sonship now in the greek what this is a picture of this is an expectant anxious longing and it it, it gives a picture of a straining of the neck to see like two long separated lovers who, who are about to be Uh, reunited, looking for each other across a crowded room. It's that kind of anticipation. It's that kind of longing. It's that unrelenting urgency that says, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I'm waiting, and I'm trusting, and I'm believing. There's an eagerness and desire that is ever constant, never forgotten, and never set aside. Now, here's what we know. Creation was subjected to the curse of sin as a result of man's disobedience. Y'all remember that? In Genesis 3.17, it says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened and given heed to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. The ground is under a curse because of you. In sorrow and toil you shall eat of the fruits Of it all the days of your life. Now, nature longs to be released from the curse of sin. Man chose to sin, it was man's choice. And therefore, the habitation that God created for man to dwell in became cursed. The curse of sin for nature veils the glory of this earth's created purpose. This was to be the habitat of the children of God, and is. Verse 18 speaks of a glory that is to be revealed to us, and in us, and for us, and conferred on us. Verse 19 tells us that we are not the only ones who are awaiting this revelation, but in fact all of creation. To reveal is actually to expose something that has been hidden. It's actually a picture of a parting of a veil, that we might be able to say it. it's the removal of the veil that obscures the truth so that what was unseen now can be seen. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what an incredible quality of love the Father has given us, shown, bestowed on us, that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. And so we we are. You see, the world doesn't see us for who we are. At best, they see religious flesh. That's what they see. They don't see us for who we are. This verse declares, and so we are. The reason the world does not know or recognize, acknowledge us is because it doesn't know or recognize or acknowledge him. You see what how the Holy Spirit puts in this one verse. He says, The reason the world doesn't recognize you is because the world doesn't recognize him. Now, let me ask you a question. Those of you who are children of God and you know Jesus is in this place, do you know it? He is because he's in you, right? That's absolutely the truth. Now, you recognize his presence. How do you recognize his presence? By the spirit of God that is within you. That's how you recognize His presence. Not by your eyes, necessarily, but by the Spirit of God within you. How does the world recognize His presence? It can't. It can recognize that that there is a power. It can recognize that there is some validity. I'll tell you what the world can recognize. It can recognize as God displays truth, but it vehemently rejects it because it's typically in contrast with the way they've chosen to live their lives. They don't recognize Jesus for who he is. They didn't recognize him when he came in flesh, and they don't recognize him as he walks about in you. We are the children of God, and the reason they don't recognize who we are is because they don't see Christ. God sees us for who we are. The Holy Spirit testifies to the whole spiritual universe the truth of who we are. The new creation within you testifies to who we are. All resounding the same truth. You are the child of God. See, God sees us for who we are, and he desperately wants us to see ourselves that way. And, you know... He works in all manner of things to continually remind us that it's not just that we have a God, that it's not just that we are Christians, but we literally have his life in union with us, affirming us in truth, walking with us, being our strength, our hope, our joy. You see how important for us to know that creation knows this. Creation, that is... All of nature understands the truth of who we are. Romans 8.20 says, For the creation, nature was subjected to frailty, to futility, condemned to frustration, not because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who so subjected it, yet with hope. Creation, that's nature, was put under a curse, not willingly, not by choice. But by the rule of God, you know, and many, many don't see the curse for what it is. They overlook the corruption of death, they overlook the violence and the decay of nature, and they would say, "Oh, it's just natural." But I want to tell you something, it's altogether unnatural in regards to nature's created purpose. It is altogether unnatural. There's nothing natural about death. There's nothing natural about decay. There's nothing natural about violence. It is the curse that has made it so. Paul writes about creation as a person who has been enslaved through no fault of their own to the decay of sin, yet is aware that deliverance is coming to restore it to its created purpose. Now, nature waits for its creator to be fulfilled. And you know what? Even in the natural, it's interesting to see that nature is not under the subjection of sin without hope. Even nature is not under the subjection of sin without hope. The hope of deliverance from the curse of sin is actually written in nature. You remember in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where it speaks of the very beginning of of existence, where God says in the beginning before all time was the word which is Christ and the word was with God and the word was God himself he was present originally with God and all things were made and came into existence through him and without him was not even one thing made that has come into being you see nature doesn't attempt to deny him but eagerly awaits the revelation of him See, nature does better at this than some children of God I know. In the same way, we are to await expectantly. Not the redemption we have within us been redeemed. Not the redemption of who we are, but the redemption of the thing that literally continually blinds us to the truth of who we are. That is this body. What God is going to do is he is going to allow the scales to fall from, from the eyes of the world and that nature is going to see the full glory of the sons of God as he comes. And then a lot of people are going to be surprised. A lot of people are going to look upon themselves and say, you know what, I wasn't who I thought I was. I wish I would known who I was at that point. You ever gone, uh, like in the kitchen for instance, I can remember times that, that I went and got a can of something, and I got ready to open the can and couldn't find the can opener. Has that ever happened to you? And you're searching all over, and it's—I mean, you even resort, I have, with the screwdriver and the hammer, and you're doing all these things because you're just desperate to get this can open. And then the wife, the ever and all-knowing wife, enters into the room and says, why don't you use the can opener? Well, you resist the urge to strangle her, and you say, I don't know where the can opener is. And she's right there in the top drawer. Now, the can opener, who disappeared out of material universe, has reappeared in that drawer. And now you can find it. You pick up the can opener, and you open the can. And you think, gosh, I wish I had known that I had this 45 minutes ago before I beat this can into a pulp. You know, I think that many of us have walked through difficult times and situations where we have blinded ourselves to the truth that we have a God within us who is there to literally open our eyes to the revelation of His presence. And then, after we've struggled, and we've fought, and we've looked to everything, the screwdriver, the hammer, all of the improbable things around us, in that circumstance, the Spirit of God whispers and says, I'm here. Won't you trust me? Won't you believe in me? Won't you hope in me? You say, yes, Father.
1: Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation, rest in His life moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m., at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you.